this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode, thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, this episode was voted on by our union at Patreon. It's a tournament episode. It came down to a uh, what do you call it? A runoff. A, a, yeah, it's hard a tie- fought. We had have a tiebreaker. Yeah, we had a tie. And the original, we actually had a tie going into the final because there was five instead of four, so there was a double tie, a rare double tie. That's right. So let's talk about the records that were in this tournament before we get into the actual album. Suggested to us through digmeoutpodcast.com. You just go there, you fill it out, tell us the name of the album, the artist, give us a little info about why you're picking it. And um, that's all you need to do. That's it. Easy peasy. So for this poll, we had I Am Beautiful by June, suggested by Willie Dillon. Dear You by Jawbreaker, suggested by Jeremy Amend. A Storm in Heaven by The Verve, suggested by Adam Smith. That's a familiar band. That would have been a lot of Verve for uh, 2024. Yeah. Promised Land by Queensryche, suggested by Eric Peterson. No More Reggae by Sadato, suggested by Sorab Sadat. I can't pronounce the last name. I'm sorry. It's it's i don't i don't want to slaughter it it'll be embarrassing um but so rob suggested that cold water flats self-titled by steve burton petitioning the empty sky by converge gabriel gutierrez suggested that how far shallow takes you by gob suggested by kyle bittner and we care by whale whale and from that we had one winner in, in for first place and then two tied for second place. Jawbreaker, dear you, got 12 votes. Clearly ahead. The only one with double-digit votes. Queensryche and Coldwater Flat tied. So they go to the final round together. Second round. Never Bet the Devil Your Head by Sub Rosa. Suggested by Willie Dillon. King's X self-titled, suggested by Jeremy Amend. Never Been Caught by The Mummies, suggested by Adam Smith. McDougal Blues by Kevin Kinney, suggested by Eric Peterson. Let Love In by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, suggested by Ian Wobble. School Girl Bye Bye uh, by Number One Girl, suggested by Gabriel Gutierrez. Greetings from the Gutter by Dave Stewart, formerly of the Eurythmics, uh, suggested by Robert Cam. The Very Same by Wooden Stars, suggested by Evan Nork. And Clodhopper by 
glue leg suggested by Kyle Bittner from the from that group Nick Cave and King's X those were the those were the two so our final came down to King's X Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds Jawbreaker Queen's Reich and Coldwater Flat I'm going to be honest I did not see Coldwater Flat making it in with the rest of those so that was that was the uh, yeah it's like uh you got some well-known band names in there. You got some lesser known. You got different mm-hmm. genres. I like it. Yep. In the final, Nick and Jawbreaker tied. So we had to have a runoff, a 48-hour runoff between Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Let Love In, and Jawbreaker's Dear You, and the winner in a tight contest, 52 to 48, Jawbreaker. Dear you, we're going back to Jawbreaker. Jay, we haven't talked about Jawbreaker other than the the, the Just to Brazil episode we did like last year uh, since episode 40. It's been a while. 24-hour revenge therapy. We did episode 40. Yeah. If memory serves, that was a classic. It was one that got us <laughs> written up in the AV club and not positively. Because we did not have a positive, I went. I, I actually went back and listened to that whole episode today because I was curious. Okay, what did it sound like? We didn't yep. do "Were the Album Better" EP decent single at that point. Oh, we also did not list the songs played in the episode on our website. I have okay. to go back and do that uh, for some of the old episodes. Fill those in. Um, we gave like a thumbs up, thumbs down. Oh, okay. So we um, ripped off Cisco <laughs> Niebert at the beginning we've, we've come a little way since then also i i sounded like i was on helium i was like hey yeah. guys what do you think about this album uh, this is it. <laughs> uh, i think i've I mean, matured into my voice now I'm not sure i remember the controversy right so i'm not going to get into the history of this band because we talked about it on that episode but we, at one point, I did say I'd really like to figure out what this band makes this band special. But maybe I need to go back an album and go forward an album. Backwards would have been Bivouac. Yeah. Forward is Dear You. So, fourteen years later, I'm making good on that promise. We're going <laughs> forward and we're checking out Dear You by Jawbreaker. Uh, had you ever listened to this album before we were going to record it? Record this episode? I don't know. Um, maybe when we did, uh, the other album I did just to hear what the band sounded like, but I had not, I mean, I, we covered it in the the other episode. This is just one of those bands that was sort of there and, you know, I'd always hear them mentioned, but didn't know a whole lot about, didn't really ever hear them until we reviewed them. They just kind of slipped past my, my radar. So I'd like to share. I didn't listen to it yeah. until now. So yeah. I I like Jer- Jeremy, who suggested I like share his comments. This is what he said. Much to the chagrin of many Jawbreaker fans, the band signed to a major label after many years of saying they would never sell out. With the backing of DGC, the band produced Dear You with Rob Cavallo, producer of Green Day's Dookie the prior year. Blake Schwarzenbach approached vocals differently on this album than he did on previous efforts, claiming that he felt it was necessary to be heard 
but more likely due to his struggles two to three years after two to three years earlier when he had a throat polyp, uh, which caused him to strain his voice until he had it surgically removed while on tour in Europe. <laughs> hey, and he put, hey, if you're going to get surgery on tour, be sure to do it outside the U.S. Am I right? Yeah, do it in Europe where it's <laughs> not going to be a million dollars. Anyway, fans were not pleased with this album, but having no familiarity with Jawbreaker 1995 and thus no preconceived notions or expectations, I was able to enjoy this one quite a bit. So what he's talking about here in all that, which we also talked about in the previous episode, but I'll just recap it. There was a bidding war after The Offspring and Green Day blew up in 1994. Huge, you know, albums. Every label went out looking for pop punk bands. Uh, there was a, there was at least five labels banging at the door of Jawbreaker, trying taking them out to dinner, literally showing up at the front door of their house trying to sign them. They signed a DGC for a million dollar advance on three records, with total control over the final mix, and they could release side project material on other labels. So not actually that much different than the, what Rocket from the Crypt got when they signed to a major label, they were able to mm. release side project stuff on other labels and have control over their releases. I think that was with Interscope. So this uh, of course was, was met with terrible feedback from the fans because they had made a point of saying they would never sell out. They were mm. like the maximum rock and roll zine punk planet zine heroes and yeah. then they went and signed to EGC. Part of it was because they had gone on tour with Jawbox and Jawbox had relayed to them, hey, you know, we've had a positive experience. You know, we've got to make the records we want. It hasn't messed with us sort of thing. Yep. So they were like, screw it. You know, we're poor. We literally are. We literally are living out of our, you know, crappy house together with no money. We're in debt on our gear, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yep. this allowed them to pay off all their gear, clean up, like fix their practice space and recording their home recording studio so that they could actually get stuff done there, buy a new van and then pay themselves a 12 month salary so they could take the next year, not have jobs and just go and tour, which they did. They opened for Foo Fighters for a while on a tour, which was the, okay. it was the Foo Fighters first record. So right. I mean, that's huge. Dave Grohl coming out with a new band. You know, yeah, they were they were big pretty pretty quick, right? For singles, singles all over the radio and especially when Big Me hit with the Mentos yeah. commercial video. Mm -hmm. That was enormous. Um, they got offered Lollapalooza and they turned it down. They you know played a bunch of they started playing, you know, big shows not only here but in festivals in, in Europe and Australia. And then they were just worn down like they did a year of non-stop jumping from tour to tour festivals traveling over the world and it got to the point where they were really like irritated with each other and one of the guys brought his like little sister on the on the van with in the van with them and they ended up like getting into a fist fight <laughs> and oh, they man. reconvened the next day and said i think the band is done let's play our final shows and wrap it up and then we're done so they pretty much did not like they were at each other's throats at the end of the at the end of the band um, because they only sold like 40,000 copies, which that's yeah. a huge bomb. Um, 
the the person that worked at the label at the time who was not their A&R rep, but I, I read it in an article, said that everybody was very excited for the record to come out. And even though radio wasn't picking up on it, they thought it would be a slow grower. Like it would get out there and, and people would. And then after one week, like after no sales, essentially, because it was 40,000, like not immediately, but 40,000 over weeks and weeks and weeks, the label yep. essentially just forgot about them after a week that we're not right. putting any promotion into this. And you guys are on your own. Yep. So at least they got to keep the million dollars because the label just yeah. said bye. Yeah, I, I wish you could go back in time and talk to some of these bands that get the advances and at least just say, like, guys, just think about it this way. You'll never get paid again. This just this is the only money you're ever gonna get. So like yeah. whatever you do with it, going don't go forward and think that you're gonna make more because this is it. So build a studio, pay off some debt, whatever it is. You, you think is smart, but don't bank on ever seeing this kind of money again. Right. This is not a Brewster's million situation. This <laughs> no, is a reverse you're not Brewster's recoup. million. <laughs> you're, ne- you're, not making, not recouping. you're not getting a million dollars in order to earn $10 million after 30 days. You're, right. you're, this is it. Most bands never get this. So yeah, it, it did not go well for them in terms of just everything that could have gone wrong is essentially went wrong. Like the fans were angry. The label didn't yep. care there. When they went out on tour, they were the opening act for big bands and they were always constantly being ignored yep. and they just did not enjoy being in a band anymore. The thing about his throat surgery that actually occurred before 24, 24 hour events therapy. I've read articles where people are talking about it as if it happened right before this record, but it didn't because his vocal sort of changed a little bit between this record and the last record, but that was not the cause. I did dig up the pitchfork review and you'll be interested to hear it when we get to it at the end of the episode. Okay. So let's talk about dear you by jawbreaker. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about this record. This album sounds great. I love the, I love the production of it. I think the guitars are really uh, you know, they're straightforward in some ways, but they're also textured and um, it speaks to the space this band lives in, which is, I think, a unique place and um, something that I'm into. So it's it's like a part, post-hardcore sound that's melodic, more melodic and straightforward. It's a pop punk sound that's more complex. It's emo but less dramatic you know it's like sitting in this very interesting middle space um that's presented with for the most part like a three-piece kind of production there's some overdubbing on in here of course you know doubling guitars or two guitar parts doubling the vocals to give it some just heft which works, but you kind of get the concept of the band as you're listening to it as being a fairly straightforward, um, you know, punk oriented rock band. Uh, but as you listen to the record, I was constantly surprised on how dynamic it was. Uh, there's a lot of changes in terms of volume and tempo and, you know, movement. Um, that, that I wasn't expecting and didn't remember from the f- 
album we did before, it felt a little bit more like Jets to Brazil to me than maybe what I remember from the previous album in that way. Um, I think, you know, they, uh, going back to the guitars again, even in the dynamics that, you know, there's some picking stuff. There's a lot of palm muting. There's big open chords that sound like, you know, Weezer-esque, you know, for choruses. Um, they do the, sometimes, you know, some of the riffs even sound a little bit Nirvana-ish, both in some of the cleaner stuff that he does. And then also some of the bigger, more power chord stuff. They do the thing where, you know, they, they'll uh, play big distorted chords in the chorus and then they'll kick in a fuzz and it takes it to an even, you know, next level. So it's all like being very clever about how to keep the songs moving, interesting, sonically, you know, uh, some, some depth there, but without like losing the script, like they're not introducing keyboards or right organ or strings or something like out of left field to make it bigger and dynamic. They're still living within largely, you know, the, the three member format of the band, which I appreciate. I think it helps hold it all together. Um, I like this vocals on this record a lot. Again, it reminded me more of the Just Brazil album in the sing style. Um, it's, it's a kind of a husky gravelly tone sung in this kind of throaty sometimes spoken but still melodic delivery so it kind of just has that cool laid back um i don't know more like a, a clash or something like that in terms of the way the vocals delivered which i like a lot but it still can be very melodic there's a lot of choruses on here that are it's pretty hooky um bright major um sounding uh and i, I think the last thing i like is that within those dynamics there's also a good use of like minor darker sounding verses and then breaking into you know bigger more pop friendly choruses which i think works really well um just so shifting that tone and the way that they're choosing chords i think a good example is save your generation the first track on the album when you listen to that verse like what he's playing on guitar there's some minor changes in there that kind of unexpected and then it gets to the chorus and it's just this big bright almost green day-esque you know chorus which i think is really effective i think it works well in terms of you know you get the muscular kind of darker sounding section and then you get the big sing-along which i think makes it kind of fun but also can be introspective and smart and have a lot more depth than just being you know goofy pop punk Uh, 
So that's some of the stuff that worked for me. What worked for you? Well, like you said, the production by Rob Cavallo, it sounds huge, especially when you put it in headphones. It just, yeah, it's, it's enormous. And I read that the previous album, it took them three days to record it. They spent like $7,000 or something like that on it. It was really cheap. Yeah. Yeah. This record, it took them three days to do the bass and drums and then six weeks to record all the guitars and vocals. Yeah. Blake was essentially in the studio by himself with Cavallo, just pouring on guitar tracks. He had he had really not done harmonies with himself before, so he was doing that. Um, yeah. I think it really helps uh, bring out the melodies in ways that maybe why I struggled with the first record. You can kind of pick out now. He has this. He has a very unique style. I heard somebody compare him to Morrissey and I was like, he doesn't sound like Morrissey to me other than he's very wordy and he doesn't stick to linear, like a verse of this. And it's, you know, it's got the same, uh, it rhymes the same way and all that stuff. Like he changes his format up a lot within songs and also from song to song. Um, So I think that probably did them well. Again, that would that's probably what pissed off a lot of the hardcore fans is because I mean hardcore in terms of their their audience, not in terms of the sound of hardcore. Um, it probably pissed them off because, like, oh, you're spending weeks in the studio doubling your vocals. That's not punk, that's not emo, that's not underground. So I do appreciate that. I think his observational songwriting, like on Save Your Generation, you mentioned that one, bad scene, everyone's my fault everyone's fault um those are the songs and i relate this back to boxcar from the previous album those are the songs that i think connect best with me because he has this eye of someone who's a part of it but also separated from it and observing what's happening and able to make some unique observations and and come up with some interesting uh lyrics out of that um that's that's it that's what works okay i'll just say that (laughs) you can can guess where the rest of this is gonna go okay well don't don't leave me waiting okay so what doesn't work (laughs) okay okay i here we go sounds like a this is a slog of a record like there are six minute long pop punk songs what yeah it's a they're dirges like there is this is this band should have no song over three and a half minutes this should be two and a half minutes at best the best song on this record is unlisted track the the last song on the record when he sings an acoustic and it kind of sounds like bob pollard okay because I can clearly hear him enunciating and I can clearly hear the lyrics and I can clearly hear yeah. what's interesting about him. And he's got so much guitar and there are songs where his vocal is buried in there. And it's just, all I hear is this like din, like, like where the, where the vocal should be. It doesn't yeah. elevate above the guitar. Um, and also I feel like an old man saying this, but I am not connecting with a lot of his sad guy lyrics on this record. There is a lot of like being really pissy about women in relationships 
on this. Um, and it's just, it, it doesn't feel he's maybe saying it in a new way, but it's not a way that like in any way now connects with me. 21 year old me who was yeah. also a sad sack would yeah. probably relate to this a lot better. But now I'm listening to it. And I'm like, okay, you get like two songs on the record for that. You don't get 11 songs to do that on the record. Like sing about something else for the, for God's sakes. I need something else than other than, you know, women have let you down or, or turned their back on you and you're staring at them across the party and you're mad and like, okay. <laughs> um, and as, right. and as much as I do like Rob Cavallo's production, it's kind of one note. And I think that's because there's there are no counter melodies anywhere on this record. The guitars are always just chugging power chords. Um, the, he, there's no vocal counter melodies. Everything is it is what it is. It makes helmet sound dynamic in a, in a way <laughs> that I did not expect helmet to sound dynamic. Oh, wow. OK. Um, but yeah, I kept listening to this over and over again. I kept going, what am I missing with this record? that I don't, that it's not connecting with me. And it's just everything like this is, this is not in my wheelhouse at my yeah. present moment. Um, so I really, really struggled with it just cause I, there are rare instances where I hear a chord that I go, Oh, that's an interesting chord or that's an interesting progression, but it just sounds like a lot of palm muted, you know, bar yeah. chords on a, on a Gibson S or a Gibson Les Paul and just like like I, I what is what is it that what is it that's making this now a beloved album like this came out the same time as Weezer's Pinkerton right which was also like not successful at all when it came out but then right. has gained regard over the years I have always loved that record yeah it's dynamic it's weird it's got interesting production choices um and I understand in comparison to the blue album, which is very poppy and stuff that it was a shock to the system for people who weren't ready for that. This on the other hand is like such a, it's, it's like the opposite of that. It's like they, they played it so safe on this record musically that hmm. it doesn't interest me in any way. And I'm going to get so much, there's going to be some people mad <laughs> at this. I know. Well. Let me cover for you a little bit. Okay. I mean, I, hmm, I think I hear what you're saying on some of it. Uh, it is long. I think to me though, the length is part of where they're trying to push and trying to make these songs a little more complex and a bit more dynamic with more parts and changes. Mm -hmm. And it just ends up making longer songs. I, I kind of got into that though. It, it took me. So my, my first couple of listens with it was, was mostly. Okay. Well, this sonically sounds better. I remember yeah. the previous record just sounding thin and just not being able to get past the production of it. I just was not a fan of the way that album sounded. So that wasn't an issue here. So I, I sort of was just absorbing it from that level. As I spent more time with it. Um, you know, I started to get it more into the chord choices and started to recognize some of the hooks and the melodies and it. It slowly made more and more sense to me. And I grew fonder with time. 
Um, but you know, my, my criticism of it would be, I think to your, one of your main points was it, it just doesn't need to be, some of these songs don't need to be this long. It doesn't need to have as many songs as it has. I mean, 51 minute record for this type of music isn't really necessary. Um, and I think you can get there by trimming some songs or just completely like cut them off the record or cut down some of these to, they should all be under three and a half minutes. Um, ideally like get, get the dynamic concepts in there, just to distill it down. Um, and I, I think it's a lot stronger. It also, um, as much as I like them sticking to the format of like a three piece and trying to like record that and present that with some overdubs, I'm with you in that it really could use another vocal. Um, I, I like his voice. I, I, I get why like it does sit in the same sonic range as the guitar. Mm-hmm. So there's some stuff you could probably do there in terms of either songwriting or tone to help with that. But I mean, his the vo- tone of his voice and the tone of his guitar are pretty much the same. So it's going to be hard to mix that. Another way to combat, combat it is like get another voice in there. Get somebody else singing like counter melodies or you know providing a different dynamic vocally if um this is sort of his range and what he can do it's like shake that up a little bit more would be really interesting to hear um i would i i don't like things like bad scene everyone's fault <laughs> to me that's like just a straight up punk song that like even though it's short, it's sort of exposed to me. Like I liked hearing the band try to do different things. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, this is really who this band is. I went to a party last night. What's it things I saw? Make out sessions and bicycle messengers, punks and hot school dropouts. And then there's a couple others that are just kind of plotting and have a lot of parts, but don't really go anywhere. Like Lurker, um, I Love You So Much, It's Killing Us Both. Like mixing in these like traditional punky elements and or sort of too many changes that don't really go anywhere compelling. Mm-hmm. So for me, my biggest criticism would just be like some of the materials not working. Uh, um, not as strong and some of these songs could be edited down a bit I I still really don't I mean uh, there's a way to save this record first of all it's too long it shouldn't be 52 no nobody making a a punk adjacent record 
don't yeah. know, you can call this emo pump punk. It should be 51, 52 minutes. Yeah. You got to keep it under that. You got to keep it in, in the 40 or 30 minute range. I would have front loaded this with um, Save Your Generation. I love you so much. It's killing me both. It's killing us both. That's fine. Move up Oyster to three. Oyster's the best song on the album. Yeah, it has a great because you That's can understand him. Yeah. And that wasn't released as a single. That's insane. Fireman and Accident Prone. Accident Prone is 614. That's insane. And you release it as a single. Oyster is the single from this yeah. record. If they had any chance of like recouping any of that advance, Oyster is the song that would have done it. You put it it's in a the clever lyric. It's a clever lyric. It mm-hmm. it starts the hook hits you right away. Like it's it's high energy. It's a little bit fun. That's insane. They didn't release it. I would I would put the the short stuff. If I, I'm thinking of this in terms of a vinyl record, you put like four short songs to start, then the, the acoustic track to end the first side. Then if you want to go into like some experimental longer songs like Basilica, which on its own I don't mind the concept of that song and I like the ending yeah. of it, but just stick like three long songs on the second side, and make this mm-hmm. like a, a nine song record or a ten song record, but. It's so disjointed going from, like you said, there's like a two minute punk song and then there's a six yeah. minute long dirge with halftime. Yeah. And and it's like, it doesn't, you never feel like you're getting into the the the, the mood correctly because it's, it's wallowing between two extremes in a lot of ways, uh, which I just found frustrating. You know, like when we talked about, uh, I was thinking back to the, the Sam I Am album and it's like they just they they know what they're doing like even if they do a little bit of a cliche thing with regards to like the drum beat or whatever you know you expect that like pop punk drum beat but they kept the song short they're tight they're melodic um and that end of pop punk i think has that's not as blatantly pop the way that green day and the offspring are the punker side of it that works a little bit better for me. Um, and it's and it still does because I, I really like the last Sam I am at record that came out like a year or two ago. Um, that's the uh, that's the band that would always play when this record was done. The algorithm algorithm would always pick Sam I am. <laughs> that's hilarious. Every time it knew it yeah. knew. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think fundamentally I'm I'm just not on the same wavelength as Blake uh, Schwarzenbach in terms of what his, what he's trying to accomplish as a frontman songwriter guitarist and what, what interests me. Um, so I want to share with you, what do you, th- how do you think uh, this was met at, um, at Pitchfork, not when it originally came out, but when there was an expanded edition that came out in 2004 Hmm. Oh, that's a tough one. 2004. I'm going to say it was positive. 2.3. Hmm. I was shocked that it, they gave it a 2.3. Um, now, I, I feel like there was some inaccuracies. And the person who wrote this review only wrote three entire reviews for the for Pitchfork. But he mentioned okay. like the the post surgical vocals, and I again the surgery happened before the last record, not before this record. 
but I do feel like these, uh, he said, these songs admittedly held fast to Jawbreaker's melodic chops. It's clear the band had dulled their edge to appeal to the radio-friendly commercial punk explosion that dominated the mid-90s airwaves. Now, you could take umbrage with that and say, look, they just improved their sound. If that's uh, selling out to get on the radio, okay, fine. You have to have the songs to get on the radio. Production only takes you so far. you got to have the hooks to get on the radio. This isn't isn't a hooky album. There are memorable lines, I think, but there's nothing that's like you said oyster is the best song it has the most memorable lyric there's nothing you're going to sing along to no. as a radio song um not as a first listen i mean i think no. you spend a little time with it there's some sing-along stuff here but it's not like a immediate accessible radio hit the rest of the article or the, the review is um you know it gets into like some stuff that i didn't really care about but I do, I do agree with him. Like the, the person who wrote this, like it just it's a, almost a little whiny in terms of how much he's complaining about relationship stuff. It's like okay, I mean the whole last record, twenty four hour revenge therapy, is in a, basically a concept record for breaking up with your girlfriend. Aside from boxcar, right? And then this is just more of that. And I'm like, dude, you gotta like, there's got to be more to your repertoire and we with jets to brazil he did write other you know about other interesting stuff and i like that album better yeah. than this but uh yeah i just uh i don't normally agree with pitchfork but i was kind of in the same space where it's just i was shocked literally when i when i was like wait a minute we're on this we're, we agree oh no i've done something i've done something <laughs> wrong here oh you're on the same page as pitchfork in 2004 yeah, which I thought by then they Yikes. would have gone to the, you know, uh, this is now an iconic record for a generation of emo fans. Yes. You know, it's been name checked by That's numerous artists. And I overthought it. As I thought about it more, that was the angle I was thinking of. Right. So. Because we were um, like peak commercial emo at that point, right? Oh yeah, um, it was like probably second or third wave at that point. Oh, by the way, the, there's a 33 and a third book on um, not this record, but on 24 Hour Revenge Therapy. In that book, the author says that they spent so there's there's differing um, amounts of how much it took to make this record. Alternative Press at the time said seventy five thousand, but after all was said and done in the in the book that was released, it was two hundred thousand. They spent two hundred thousand to make this record. That's oh my god! What is that? Twenty percent of your million dollars to make this? So you said three days to do the to do the bass, bass and drums, drums, and then how many days to do six the weeks and vocals? to do guitars and vocals? Uh, Yep, that's about two hundred grand. Yep, <laughs> and they spent three thousand dollars on previous record. They could have built their own studio for two hundred grand that they would still own and mm-hmm. have recorded every album they ever wanted to record there. They could have made the same record as the last one, spent three thousand dollars, and then bought nine hundred and ninety-seven dollars worth of Apple stock, and they would be they'd be great right now. They'd all be very happy. <laughs> 
Uh, oh man, how great of a story would that have been? <laughs> well, music didn't work out for us, but we're now we're all billionaires because we yeah, bought we Apple stock. delivering that album. <laughs> we went ahead and just bought Apple stock, and we're all just kind of done. Seriously, um, yeah. So I don't have anything else to say. I'm honestly, I. If anybody ever recommends Jawbreaker to me again, I'm gonna go look. <laughs> Trust me, I've I've got my fill of Jawbreaker. Um, I will be happy to revisit Just to Brazil, other albums, but it, you know for our 2000s episodes. But let's let's let Jawbreaker lie for now. This is it's it's not quite seaweed territory, but it's it's close. In terms oh. of my dislike. You would put this higher than seaweed. Yeah, if Jawbreaker is a two point like three, seaweed, seaweed is like a one point five. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, I honestly, I don't remember the first. I can seaweed hear, review. I, I can, I can kind of see where you're coming from. I, I can, I can start to see a pattern. Okay, you're figuring me out after all this time. You're starting to unravel the mystery right. that is the enigma <laughs> after 6, that is episodes. me. There's 6,000 episodes. I'm starting to figure out what you like. Hey, I don't, I'm going to guess you don't like this. Well, you'd be right. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, that's what it is. That's, that's, I, that's all I can say. Can I rate the um, sucker? Well, that's the interesting thing. I could probably go better EP because I would go with save your generation. I love you so much. It's killing both of us. Oyster. Bad scene, everyone's fault, and unlisted track. That's five songs. I feel like that's a great five song EP. Little little punch of pop punk, and there's no dirgy tracks. Um, you, it's over in like twelve minutes. Like, give me the dear you EP, and I'll be happy. <laughs> Where I'm at. What do you? What about you? I'm gonna go with a worthy album. Um, We're done. I'm, I'm not I could cut a couple songs. Could keep it simple. Bad scene. Everyone's fault. I love you so much. And lurker too would to me be the easy cuts. And okay, we're on opposite ends here. I think That's it's a worthy it album. Yeah. So you've got a 10 song worthy album and I have a five song EP with completely yeah. diff different tracks. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. And it won't be reflected in your bonus. Don't worry. <laughs> oh man, I'm getting shit canned. Your, 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 your uh, quarterly bonus will not be affected by your, by your decisions that you make here.
we'll have to talk to HR. I'm going to uh, just, just start reading uh, reviews from Pitchfork and just regurgitating whatever they said. <laughs> hey, now, I didn't do that exactly. I think uh, I was actually slightly more positive than Pitchfork. Pitchfork gave it a 2.3. I'm probably more like like a three or a four, to be honest, because I at least, you know, okay. five songs. It's pretty, that's not bad. Um, Thank you to yeah. Jeremy who suggested this record and thank you to everyone who voted in the tournament. Uh, I'm, I am sad. We didn't get to talk about whale because uh, they have a song called hobo hump and slobo babe that um, people were excited to hear me. <laughs> well, there it is. Say that. And uh, it didn't get, it didn't happen. Lars Lindblad well, suggested that somebody... one. Did I miss it the first time? I might have missed it. Somebody the first else time nominated. Uh, yeah, get it in there. I I don't even remember what that song sounds like, but it's electronic rock. So from Sweden. I don't know how I missed that. Uh, if yes. you out there listening want to stop writing your angry email about my jawbreak review and would like to suggest an album, you can go to digmeoutpodcast.com and suggest an album at our website. Um, those get voted on at Patreon, which you can join at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. It's also where you can read the box newsletter and you can vote in our 80s metal episodes there as well, which you can sign up for uh, updates, like I said, at Substack with our box newsletter. Uh, every two weeks, we got a new episode coming out. First one, Tesla already dropped. The latest one, uh, Ying Wei. I think it's Ying Wei. I think I was saying Ying Wei. It's Ying Wei, Mom Steve. It's Ying Wei, not well, Wei. I got I got yelled at in the Discord that I was saying it wrong, and now I'm no. Oh. Now I'm confused. It's Ying Wei. Ying Wei. I am. Less is more. More is more. Not Ying Wei. Uh, that's that one just dropped, as the kids say. No cap. That just dropped, and uh, it's got total riz. It's um, it's on God. Just oh, saying, man. just saying all the all the words <laughs> that the kids say. I'm gonna have Hello, to fellow kids. Write these down and have children. They mean. <laughs> Hello, fellow kids. <laughs> uh, lastly, Apple Podcasts is where you go to leave positive feedback. Again, positive feedback for this show. Negative feedback should be directed to our. You know, website. somebody's logging on right now to complain about you don't know shit because you trashed a jawbreaker. Yeah, hey, I I know what the score is, as Blake would sing. Mm. Touche, touche. All right. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Oh,